Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Hello, hello. I'm Marcus. And I'm here to welcome you to the warm audio embrace of the Sunshine Cinema Show. And metaphorically, running towards you, arms open wide and ready to hug his film knowledge right into you, <laughs> is Nick Chaffee. Uh, hello. <laughs> now, hot off the press, Nick is currently developing a film about a dim-witted male model with a steely gaze who's fighting an addiction to a coffee-flavoured Italian dessert. It's something he's calling Tiramisu Lander. Okay. <laughs> How's that one coming along, Nick? Ah, uh, no, that's, yeah, good. Lots of layers. Hey, to it. like onions. Onions yes. have layers. So and so do ogres. <laughs> coming up over the next hour, if you like an action film with cars and characters crashing through panes of glass and you'll want to hear our review of Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. I've also got five mystery films for you to try and identify in the Take 5 movie quiz. And perhaps you're looking for a film to rent? Well, how about the animated adventure about an explorer who encounters a Sasquatch and must escort him to his yeti cousins in the Himalayas? We review... Missing Link. And if you'd like to contact us on the show, you can tweet us. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. Right now, though, I shall pass you gently over to Nick with the latest movie news. Well, thanks, Marcus. So the headlines, BAFTA Film and TV Awards introduce new casting category, Guillermo del Toro lining up star-studded cast for Nightmare Alley, and Fox movies like Home Alone and Night at the Museum to get some kind of reboot for Disney+. The BAFTA Awards has introduced a new category. It has been announced for the forthcoming edition in 2020. The organisation will give an award for casting in both its film and TV ceremonies. BAFTA Chair Pippa Harris said in a statement, We are delighted this year to be including the highly skilled work of casting directors for the first time. Casting is essential to the screen industries and vital in terms of promoting diversity and inclusion on screen. Eminent casting director Lucy Bevan, who has worked on An Education, Beauty and the Beast and the forthcoming Cats, responded by saying, It is a great honour for our industry to be recognised by BAFTA and I would like to thank BAFTA on behalf of casting directors across the world. It is terrific news for our profession. BAFTA has also announced that the original music category in its film awards is to be renamed Original Score, saying it is intended to underline a focus on composer and score and acknowledging the integral part they play in contributing to the narrative, atmosphere and emotional landscape of the film. A vociferous protest at the inclusion of Netflix releases in the 2019 Film Awards has also been battered aside, as BAFTA announced it will not change its eligibility requirements. BAFTA said that following extensive consultation across the industry, it has retained the rule that feature films must be released on a minimum of 10 screens for a week to qualify, with no specifications over streaming release. However, the organisation's film committee retains the right to decide whether films are operating within the spirit of the rules and not purely to qualify for the awards, and specifically name forewarning, a practice whereby distributors hire a cinema for its release as meeting with disapproval. 
Battle Film Awards will take place uh, next year on the 2nd of February, a week before the Oscars on the 9th of February. Well, some much-needed additions there, I think, but... Um, mm-hmm. Do you think this is going to uh, have a knock-on effect with the Oscars? Do you think they will follow suit with, with some of these? Or Yeah, potentially, hopefully. I think if, if more... Yeah, I, I feel like the BAFTAs are held in quite high regard with regards to the uh, the other academies uh, across the world. So, yeah, I think um, if someone is as big as them does it, then hopefully the, uh, the others will follow suit. As you might imagine, Guillermo del Toro's new adaptation of Nightmare Alley, which is set to star Bradley Cooper, is one of the hottest projects in Hollywood right now. The film will be del Toro's follow-up to The Shape of Water, which won Best Picture, and it will be Cooper's first starring role since his Oscar-nominated turn in A Star is Born. So it should come as no surprise that del Toro is lining up a top-notch cast for his next feature. Sources tell Collider that Tony Collette, hot off Hereditary, is poised to play the female lead opposite Cooper, and that she'll likely be joined by del Toro's Shape of Water star Richard Jenkins, as well as his own Hellboy hero, Ron Perman. Meanwhile, Willem Dafoe is also in line to co-star, as is Mark Pavanelli from Water for Elephants. Elsewhere, two-time Oscar winner Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara are also being eyed for key supporting roles, as is Michael Shannon, who also co-starred in The Shape of Water. Nightmare Alley is based on the William Lizzie Gresham novel of the same name that follows rustabout Stanton Stan Carlyle, who joins a travelling carnival and unsuccessfully schemes to figure out the mind-reading act of Mademoiselle Zena and her alcoholic husband, Pete. But when Pete dies, Zena is forced to take on Stan as a partner, and he quickly proves more gifted than his predecessor. Ambitious to a fault, it's not long before Stan goes out on his own to mixed results. Dottoro co-wrote the script with Kim Morgan, and he's also producing the Fox Searchlight film along with J. Miles Dale. Production is expected to start this fall. Well, just going on the cast alone, mm. what a treat. Really good. I'm looking yeah. forward to that already. Me too, yeah. Disney has finished absorbing Fox's film assets into its giant toothy mouth, which means it's time for some of those film assets to start earning their keep. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Disney is already planning some kind of revival scheme for a number of family-friendly Fox movies, with the THR report saying they'll be rebooted or relaunched for the Disney Plus streaming service. The movies in question are specifically Night at the Museum, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Home Alone and Cheaper by the Dozen, making this the first time Disney has mentioned direct plans to do something, whatever it may be, with Fox's movies. Again, we don't really know what Disney is planning here. Remakes, TV adaptations and new sequels are probably all on the table. And the only clue Disney CEO Bob Iger is willing to give is that his company is focused on leveraging Fox's vast library of great titles to further enrich the content mix on platforms like Disney+. That doesn't really mean anything, but the point is that Disney wants to make money and it sees this as a good way to make money. This all came from an earnings call during which Iger also confirmed that Marvel Studios boss Kevin Feige is now in charge of Fox's old Marvel holdings, meaning the X-Men and the Fantastic Four Plus, all related characters like Doctor Doom. That seems obvious since Feige is the guy in charge of Marvel's Disney stuff anyway, but at least now we definitely know that he'll show up at Comic-Con someday with an X or a 4 on his baseball hat. And just rewind to the list of potential remakes that you mentioned there. Yeah. Um, can you just run through them again? Uh, Night at the Museum. Yeah, it's all right. They can remake that. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's already sort of produced, uh, I think, two sequels yeah. in addition to the first one, so it's got some some legs. Uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah, that's fine. Not Similarly, I think there's been about four or five of, of those movies in the cinema yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, Home Alone. Right. Right. Okay. Now let's get down to it. Hang on a minute. Whoa. Strong feelings about Home Alone here. Remake a Christmas classic like Home Alone? I think not. Okay. Were you this agitated by the the four sequels to it, two of which were direct-to-video? No. 
Home Alone stands on its own as a classic. Everything they made afterwards, mm-hmm. um, you can take or leave. Okay, but it's, it's, a, it's a premise that could sort of be applied to completely different uh, settings. It could, it could, mm-hmm. but it's whether they decide to go down the route of taking too much from the original and saying, well, it's not an exact copy, but it is an exact copy, okay. and we're just cashing in on it. You leave, you leave Kevin McAllister where he deserves to be, in our hearts. God bless you, Kevin McAllister. Okay. <laughs> Get a feeling we'll be talking a bit more about uh, remakes of that calibre in, in a few minutes' time. In a world within our world, they've created a world unlike any other world. And in that world is a show... A cinema show, but not just any cinema show. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Right, let's have a quick rundown for you now of the top five UK film rentals and the box office films. Starting with the box office, at number five, we have The Angry Birds Movie 2. Yep. In case you didn't know that was the first one. Oh, yes, yeah, a few years ago now. I've, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> seen none of them. Although, I mean, I'll be honest, I've seen the trailer for this one a couple of times in the cinema recently, and there's a sort of a, a dance-off joke, which, um, yeah, I, I quite liked. Yeah. Not enough to see the, the whole film. But there we go. <laughs> I think that probably sums it up. Like, hey, if you've got kids, they'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, and number four, we have Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, um, I haven't reviewed officially, but we've talked about it on the programme a couple of times before. Um, yeah, another solid entry in the... Uh, Spider-Man canon, uh, nowhere near as good as uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which was our favourite film of last year, but yeah, sort of okay. Tom Holland's very good in the lead role. I really like what they've done with uh, the character of Mysterio, who's long been one of my uh, one of my favourite characters. Really well played by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, it's funny as well. Worth a watch. Yeah. Uh, number three, we have Toy Story 4. Yes, which we have previously reviewed on the programme. Uh, gave it uh, an 8 out of 10. Quite simply, a- as good as we wanted it to be. Excellent. Controversially, moving on oh. to number two, The Lion King. Yes, uh, reviewed on the programme last time, four out of ten did absolutely nothing for me, but then I'm, I'm speaking as someone who's seen the original too many times to count. And this is pretty much like a, a shot-for-shot remake of that, but with less interesting visual aspects. Um, on that topic, I, I mentioned on the programme last time that I was going to try to see as many of the... Uh, live-action Disney remakes that I've missed as possible, just to get a uh, a bigger idea of what the layout is. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Basically, to see if there's any, um, if any are really good, because <laughs> the ones I've seen up to this point have not been. Uh, some of them have been okay. And um, your conclusion was? Well, um, it was slightly scuppered by the fact that Disney are sort of very protective as to which movies are immediately available at times. But I managed to see, see two. One of which is Cinderella, directed by Kenneth Branagh, which was was fine, sort of um, updated, but sort of very firmly in a, a, a medieval setting. Emma Watson in that? Uh, Lily James. Oh, okay. Um, no songs and the animals don't speak. It's, you know, it's, it's okay. The second film I saw was... Pete's Dragon, which is legitimately a great film. Oh, really, really wonderful stuff. Again, it's it's a more much more down to earth telling of uh, well, I mean, it's, I think the story is completely different from the from the original, but really heartwarming stuff. Really, really good family film, and exactly what I was looking for. I think that proves that there is at least some uh, merits to the idea of you know going back into their catalogue and remaking stuff with a you know as long as they do something different with it 
I think just in the case of the Lion King, it's there's there's nothing different about it at all, really. Which yeah, just that leads me to ask why they <laughs> well, why why they bothered. I I would challenge anyone not to go into that film and go, wow, that looks amazing. Yeah. But once you get over that, mm. you're like, okay, I just think I might as well just go in and watch the original. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. And at number one in the UK box office, we have Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, which we will be reviewing very shortly. So, jumping over to the UK film rentals, at number five, Us. Yep, previously reviewed on the programme as well, gave an 8 out of 10. Uh, really distinctive, um, yeah, let's say, sorry, horror film. I always feel like this, maybe there's, there's a need to add an, an asterisk to, <laughs> to that descriptor, but it's as inventive as you wanted to be from the, you know, from the mind of Jordan Peele, who uh, previously made Get Out, which was amazing. Absolutely. At number four, we have Alita Battle Angel, which we reviewed last time on the show. We, yes, where was it? It was six out of ten. I think we were surprised by this. We liked it more than we were expecting to. Yeah. Well, we, 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 I don't think we really had any ex- expectations going into it, did we? Yeah, it's... And, and I would say that was a strong six as well. It was... Yeah, it it, it it treads some some well-trodden ground when it comes to mm. movies of that type, but it's still really entertaining, I think. Yeah. At number three, we have Shazam. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, we did review this on, on the programme previously, earlier in the year, 7 out of 10. More of a family-friendly take on the superhero genre. Yep. Pretty funny. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> At number two, Captain Marvel. Yep, the, uh, the, the second of two films in the top five of a character called Captain Marvel in it. Interesting, interesting piece of trivia there. Um, which, yeah, also reviewed on the programme previously. Also gave a, a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I don't know if there's much more to say about it, really. It's sort of it, covered, it, covered it pretty well. Yeah, I think if you like that sort of thing, you know what you're going to get and you'll enjoy it. Yeah. And number one, we have Dumbo. Yes. Um, <laughs> have you seen this? Not yet. Yeah, no, because we, we haven't reviewed this officially on the programme, but I've talked about it previously. Which is why I haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes an interesting comparison with um, The Lion King and the, the other Disney movies I've seen in the last couple of weeks, where uh, directed by Tim Burton, he, he's trying to do something different with the source material, and admittedly there's not a, a lot to work with when it comes to adapting that original film into a much bigger thing, but um, it makes a good effort. I think it's just slightly scuppered by the um, the execution of the idea, which is kind of kind of dull some of the acting isn't brilliant although Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton is good it's, it's, it's nice to see Michael Keaton working with Tim Burton again they, they make a great fit together thank you Nick well plenty of films there to see and maybe to avoid your choice entirely but up next Lawman Luke Hobbs and outcast Deckard Shaw form an unlikely alliance when a cyber genetically enhanced villain yeah that's right cyber genetically enhanced threatens the world will they reviewing the Fast and Furious spin-off, Hobson Shaw. This is Nick and Marcus, exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, let's give you our first review of the show this afternoon, which is Fast and Furious presents Hobson Shaw, rated 12A. Ever since hulking lawman Hobbs, a loyal agent of America's diplomatic security service, and lawless outcast Shaw, a former British military elite operative, first faced off in 2015's Furious 7, the duo have swapped smack talk and body blows as they've tried to take each other down. 
But when cyber genetically enhanced anarchist Brixton gains control of an insidious bio threat that could alter humanity forever, and bests a brilliant and fearless rogue MI6 agent who just happens to be Shaw's sister, these two sworn enemies will have to partner up to bring down the only guy who might be better than themselves. Wanna tell me just what in the fresh turkey hell we're dealing with here? Long story. It's a ghost, supposed to be dead. Eight years ago, I put a bullet through his brain. Great. So being chased by the Terminator. I don't think he's gonna make it. Well, I don't think he can see over the steering wheel. Buckle up, fat boy. I'm gonna save your life again. So they've got a Transformers noise in there just to uh, highlight the fact that, yes, he has a bike that transforms. Yeah. Into a slightly different bike. <laughs> that the most disappointing Transformer gift ever. Hey, kids, you got yourself a new bike there. Mm. What's it turning to? Slightly different bike. Oh, great. <laughs> Fast and Furious, Hobson Shaw, was uh, directed by David Leach, and he previously directed Deadpool 2. Remember that? We'll come back to that. Uh, Atomic Blonde, and he co-directed John Wick. This was written by uh, Chris Morgan, who wrote most of the Fast and Furious uh, films, and Drew Pierce, who wrote Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, and Iron Man 3. Uh, Hobson Shaw has a pretty strong cast. We've got Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, Idris Elba, Vanessa Kirby, and Dame Helen Mirren. Hello, Mom. Good to see you back again. Uh, Nick, let's just jump in. Uh, and help everybody out, yeah. uh, especially those who, who might be baffled by the state of the uh, Fast and Furious franchise. Um, can you just bring us up to speed? As something as a, of a Fast and Furious convert, or, or maybe apologist is the, is the better <laughs> word, um, yes, I can. Um, it's a weird one. Fast and Furious is a series that was, uh, I think, perhaps never meant to be a series, but it has somehow managed to carve its own niche in the the film world to to incredible success actually the the first three films are pretty low-key car movies and you know, they have relatively little to do with each other uh they were sort of coming in riding this early 2000s um rising interest in street racing culture and you know they're, they're fine for for what they are with with the fourth one which was a, a pretty minor release as well they said all right, let's get all of the characters back from the first one. We'll um, we'll, you know, we'll apply that there's almost an, an almost family-like bond between them, and you know what? Let's let's raise the stakes a little bit. We'll kill off one of them, and we'll have the others the, the others have to work undercover with the CIA to take down the drug smugglers that did it. And so this essentially turned it into a uh, revenge action thriller movie, but with cars instead of guns, and thus set the trend for the for the rest of the series. And not only that, but the, the producers also slowly realised that they could have more fun and be more outlandish with the action as as they went along. And every film from the fifth onwards has pushed the envelope a little bit more in, in terms of what's, uh, well, believable, <laughs> basically. S- simply for the sake of being more thrilling. And box office-wise, it's, it's paid off in spades, and you know, the films have genuinely become more entertaining to watch as well. The The problem with pushing that envelope, though, is that eventually it's just going to fall off the table especially when the series does still 
seemed to to take itself quite seriously. Uh, I, I know that some people felt that the the series reached that point with the the previous eighth entry called uh, the Fate of the Furious. Fate. Yeah. F e i g h t f a t e sounds the same, different. <laughs> I do enjoy that one. I've got a, I've got, I've got like a imaginary pool going with um, some other people saying that um, by the time the the tenth one comes out, we really hope it's going to be called Fast Ten Your Seatbelts. Oh man! And if it's not, we're going to be upset. <laughs> Copyright exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, some felt that the eighth one um, went a bit too far. I. I enjoyed it for what it was, um, but I do feel that Hobbs and Shaw is uh, very much an example of uh, self-confidence run amok. I'll say this, the, the film has swagger, much like the titular characters. It's very loud, a very confident movie, but it's also not particularly distinctive in in any way. The film opens with a, a cover version of Jim Crochet's Time in a Bottle, performed by Youngblood. Uh, no O's in that name, incidentally. Which um, it transforms what was originally a, a very fragile and tender folk song into an, an overly bombastic new metal track purely to grab your attention it's not going to do anything to reward your attention it it just wants to be noticed and the, the same can be said for the rest of the film it's it's ridiculous but not in a way that is always fun i can be easily pleased as as proven by my enjoyment of all of the fast and furious films up to this point even the second one but if your action movie has moments where even i say Come on now. <laughs> uh, instead of just enjoying the spectacle, you you need to rethink things. I mentioned that the, the script is co-written by Drew Pierce, who uh, brings a, a tiny spark of the inventiveness he displayed in Iron Man 3, but not enough to overcome what is very much a, uh, a standard James Bond formula that the, the plot mostly follows. I also I think another big problem the film has as is the, uh, the, the titular characters themselves. Because... Besides their accents and, and their relative sizes, they're both essentially the same person. Like Both of the characters can be summed up as, I'm tough uh, and cool and I hate you. And by the end, the characters have developed to simply, I'm tough and cool and I don't hate you quite as much. I think both Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham are good in their roles, but being so similar, they, they cancel each other out. It's like having a burger with a burger on the side. Uh, there's a scene in which we hear Idris Elba rapping while Idris Elba is on the screen riding a motorcycle, which serves as a hand reminder that Idris Elba is in this movie. He's good, for, for, for what it's worth. You know, he seems to be having fun. No complaints with him. Vanessa Kirby, also quite good, holds her own. You know, uh, the character she's playing isn't anywhere as near as interesting as, say, Ilsa Faust from the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, but she gets herself out of bad situations, which you know can be a rarity in action movies, so, so good for her. Ryan Reynolds turns up unexpectedly and is immediately exhausting. To go back to my burger metaphor, he's like the cheese sauce that I've seen some places just slop all over the buns, which is to say extremely unwelcome in, in that larger serving. And you also have um, roles for Rob Delaney and Eddie Marzan, who are also you know, returning cast members from Deadpool 2. And... That's what this movie is, I think. It's Deadpool 2, but only one person has superpowers, and there's only one kind of joke. Okay. Mm. All right. There, there, was, there was something I was going to mention, but I'll let you give, um, give your, your, your score first, because I, I, I just feel I need to hear 
what your rating is out of 10. Okay, 5 out of 10. Okay. There's there's plenty of good ingredients that usually make for a good action movie. Um, and I remember having having fun intermittently, but I also remember yawning uh, an awful lot. And, you know, in writing this and thinking about it in hindsight, is just it just wears me out a little okay. bit. <laughs> <laughs> the only point I was just going to add um, is actually a, a word of warning. A spoiler alert, oh, yes. if, yeah, you, yeah. if you will. At the end of the film, during the credits, there is something said by one of the actors in the film. A character that dis- discusses the um, the ending of, of Game of Thrones. Yeah, quite openly yeah. ruins the end of Game of Thrones if you haven't seen the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Which was... It's a very odd inclusion. I think it was just—it's just a flex on on the behalf of the people making it, saying this is you know how uh, how recently we were, we were shooting this. Yeah, I can see no other reason for putting that in. No, it's it's odd. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Uh, still to come, uh, we will be reviewing Missing Link, where the explorer Sir Lionel Frost and the adventurer Adelina Fortnite help a yeti to find his long lost relatives. Before that, though. Get ready! It's the Take 5 Film Quiz. Well, you're listening to the Sunshine Cinema Show with Nick and Marcus on Sunshine Hospital Radio. And now it's time for the Take 5 Quiz. I'd just like to say as well, if you have seen any of the films that uh, we've been discussing, please let us know what you think. We do love to include your views. You can tweet us at Sunshine Cinemax. Now then, on to the quiz. As always, I have five taglines for you from five well-known movies. And all you need to do is just name the films they come from. And as always, you're going up against Nick. He only scores a point that he names the film and the year that it was released here in the UK. Mm-hmm. But you get a point if you can just name the film. So, without further ado, I will start with tagline number one. The King Has Returned. The King has returned. Hmm. Hmm, what film's that from? Hmm. Film number two. They're here. They're here. Short and sweet. Hmm. Oh, okay. Film number three. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Number four. This could be a tricky one. Five strangers with nothing in common except each other. That ah, makes me think Nick might know this one. I, mm. I think I do. Mm. Five strangers with nothing in common 
accept each other. And finally, tagline number five. What film is this from? Just because Jonathan's fallen in love with a piece of wood, it doesn't make him a dummy. <laughs> what a marvellous tagline it is, too. Just because Jonathan's fallen in love with a piece of wood, it doesn't make him a dummy. Have a little think. And we'll be back with the answers after this. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Okay, this is the Sunshine Cinema Show with Nick and Marcus here on Sunshine Hospital Radio. And now we're going to give you the answers to the Take 5 film quiz. Let's see how you got on, and let's see how Nick got on. Are you feeling confident this week, Nick? Uh, on, on some of them, yeah. Would you like to make a little guess at your score? Um, a little prediction? Well, um, I'm going to well, two, I think. So, okay. C- considering how well I normally do. <laughs> right then, let's start with film number one. The tagline was, The King Has Returned. This... This tripped me up because it's a line that is, I think, probably mostly um, best known as being a line from the uh, from the Lion King. Uh, I don't think it was used as a tagline for either version of the film itself, so it's probably used by a film as like a, you know, like a reference to it, like a, a spoof, mm. anything. I've got no idea what that might be, so I'm going to have a have a guess, a, a very left field choice, which you, if you haven't heard of, will be very confused by. Is it Bubba Hotep? It's not Bubba Hotep. And I've heard of Bubba Hotep. Why have I heard of Bubba Hotep? Uh, I think it's like a cult, it's a cult movie. It's uh, a movie in which uh, an, an elderly Elvis Presley, played by Bruce Campbell, <laughs> teams up with uh, a uh, uh, an elderly man who thinks he's JFK to defeat the mummy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but boy, do I want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nick, you should have stuck with your gut instincts. The King Has Returned is a tagline from the 2019 Lion King. Mm. Okay, tagline number two. They're here. Portergeist. Correct. Yeah, okay. Mm, 1985? Ooh, three years out. 1982. Okay, tagline number three. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Mm, clearly a Star Wars one. I think that later sequels would have been a bit more uh, grander in their tagline, so I'm going to guess The Empire Strikes Back. Incorrect. Ah, okay. The answer that I was looking for... Return of the Jedi? Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi from 1983. Okay, the one that I thought was tricky that might have caught you out, which I'm guessing hasn't, Five Strangers with Nothing in Common... Except each other. Could be wrong, but I, I think it's right. The usual suspects. Ah, from the year... Ooh, mm, 1994? I don't know. It's not the right answer. Oh. <laughs> it was actually uh, The Breakfast Club. Oh, yes. Okay. And just for fun, do you want to take a stab at the uh, year? Um, 
Hmm. Was that 85? No, it was 85. Okay. Never mind. Um, and finally, my favourite tagline from the, this week's selection. Just because Jonathan's fallen in love with a piece of wood, it doesn't make him a dummy. I've got no idea what this is. <laughs> and if I give you the year as a clue... 1987. <sighs> no, it's not one of the Chucky movies or something, is it? No. Uh, I think it starred Kim Cattrall. <laughs> Oh, is it Mannequin? It's Mannequin! <laughs> yes. Oh. See, I, I, don't, I didn't realise Mannequins are normally made out of wood. I've, I've assumed it was plastic. Do you know, I, I didn't even question that until now. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's part of the plot, like she's sort of carved from a, a magic tree or, or something. It's been so long since I've seen I've it. Not, the only thing I know about it is that the, uh, the, the, the Starship song that's... Oh, yeah. Nothing's going to stop us now. <sighs> Good song. It's what well, it's it's as good as the other songs I did. <laughs> um, what's your score, then, Nick? Zero. <laughs> wow. Hang your head in shame. Yeah. How did you get on? Let us know. You can tweet us your score at Sunshine Cinemax. <laughs> if you took part, there's a fair chance you did do better than Nick. Even even if I'd just been given for the titles, I would have got one. Oh. That's a, that's a very poor showing from me. Very poor, yeah. Try harder next time. Mm. Okay, things are about to get hairy as our film to rent review is the stop-motion animated comedy Missing Link. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. You are indeed. That's the sound of Beck with Missing. <laughs> Which leads us rather nicely into our film to rent review which this week is Missing Link, rated PG. Tired of living a solitary life in the Pacific Northwest, Mr. Link, who is eight feet tall and covered in fur, recruits fearless explorer Sir Lionel Frost to guide him on a journey to find his long-lost relatives in the fabled valley of Shangri-La. Along with adventurer Azelena Fortnite, the trio encounters their fair share of peril as they travel to the far reaches of the world. Through it all, they learn that sometimes one can find a family in the places one least expects. You must understand, my objective here was to find proof of you. Um, My name depends upon it. Proof? What kind of proof? Incontrovertible evidence of your existence to prove my doubt was wrong. Uh, Like hair samples, a tooth, nail clippings, feces. Well, I have all those things. That seems like a fair deal. In that case, why not? I shall get you there, to the place you belong. And in return, you will get me to mine. Oh, yes. I'll prove the existence of not just one, but an entire evolutionary branch of missing links. Imagine the headlines then. Oh, well, you you really mean that you're going to take me? Of course. I give you my word. Okay, what is it? What? Your word. No, it's a figure of speech. Sounds good, what is it? The word, my dear fellow, is trust. Oh, so you want the poop now? No, later we'll be fine. The Missing Link was written and directed by the Liverpudlian Chris Butler, who was Oscar-nominated for the film Paranorman, which he also wrote and directed. This uh, this film features the voices 
of Hugh Jackman, Zoe Saldana, Emma Thompson, Stephen Fry, David Williams, Matt Lucas, and Zach Galifianakis. Now, Nick, last year uh, we had the animated Yeti adventure Smallfoot. Uh, that was this year, actually. Was it? It was. I thought it came out last year. In the cinema, yeah, but we reviewed it as a, as a DVD thing. Um, so it was uh, February, I think. How does uh, Missing Link compare? Uh, it's, oh, my, by, by a country mile, it's it's better, I think. Smallfoot is, um, yeah, that's, that's a film I, I've not thought about at all since we reviewed it on the on the show. Four out of ten, incidentally. Yeah, but it, it completely left my memory until this film opened up with a shot of a big footprint in the snow and I thought, oh yeah, there was another Yeti movie that we saw this year. I do worry that Smallfoot may have stolen Missing Link's Thunder someone when you were when you, when you compared their respective box office takings there's a a sizable difference but i think that's one of the risks that uh, that come with making stop motion animated films because they they take so long to make there's a chance that they might be beaten to the screen by an inferior production anyway hopefully more people will seek out missing now that it's uh, available to rent because i think it's it's very good what and what struck me about missing link is that there are jokes that could have potentially been in smallfoot but uh, in, in, in different forms. The, the difference being, and I think this is something that applies to, to all of Leica's films, is that there's a, a kinder energy to the jokes, particularly when it comes to you know uh, times when a character does something silly or unusual. But, I mean, for example, there's a point in this film where Mr Link chooses to, uh, to name himself something unexpected. And you know, although the film still notes that it's unusual, there's a, a tone of, of acceptance. It uh, affirms odd choices rather than just you know ridiculing or, or shaming them and that's that's really heartening to see in a, in a movie that's aimed at, at younger children and the, the film also gets a, a lot of mileage out of jokes that that shouldn't work for for that long the uh, the stretch of jokes where mr link is you know of well, of mr link thinking very literally it never stopped being funny to me even though it came up multiple times and was was even pointed out multiple times by by, by various characters it's um yeah, it's a, it's a refreshingly uncomplicated film. Like as um, plots of, I think they've gotten simpler over the time. I think this is this is the film that made me realise that they they aim for a slightly younger audience than most animated movies. I read one review that criticised them for for being simple in that way, but I, I don't see that as being a bad thing. I, I would say that they work on the same level as a good storybook that you might read to a, a child at bedtime. There aren't any any groundbreaking twists in the story itself but it works absolutely fine it's a smooth ride from a to b and there's plenty of wonderful images to take in along the way and plenty of wonderful voices to, to tell the story as well top of the bill is hugh jackman who as, as we heard turns in a an unexpectedly soft delivery which is i think it's unusual considering he's well it's unusual for him when you consider he's probably best known for very big performances as uh pt barnum and um, and wolverine it's um in, in a way, it's very reminiscent of uh, of a parent reading a bedtime story. It's very calm and and soothing, as befits the character, who's very aloof and confident in his own abilities. Zach Galifianakis, I think, perfectly cast as as Mr. Link. Really, yeah, really wonderful to to listen to and um, yeah, to see <laughs> see that character bumble his way through the uh, uh, the Victorian world. Uh, I was, yeah, I was pleased to see uh, Timothy Oliphant pop up as well as a sort of a gunslinging bounty hunter. He's clearly uh, channeling some of his uh, uh, Deadwood grit from those days. And um, Emma Thompson as well, also really good. Uh, very small role, but perfect in it. And 
also has the two best lines in the film, I feel. It is charming. It is family friendly. Yeah. Let's get a rating out of 10. That's, that's, that's all I wanted out of it, I think. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. As you said, a perfect example of of the charm that Leica brings to every production that they make, and one that I am uh, completely susceptible to and uh, unprotected against. It's it's the best Yeti movie I've seen this year. <laughs> Perfect. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, we're uh, fast approaching the end of the show, and we've just had enough time to tell you about some of the films that are up for release imminently. Yes, well, yeah, we will start with uh, with this weekend. It was a, a collection of films that came out yesterday, as it happens. Um, we've got two films here, uh, both based on best-selling novels, both with uh, interesting titles. Hmm. Uh, the Sun is also a star, which uh, seems to be a, a romance set in, uh, in New York City, and The Art of Racing in the Rain, which uh, seems to be about dogs. <laughs> I have seen the trailer for that one. Yeah. yeah. Did you... I mean, I, I, I saw the trailer for that a couple of times in the cinema as well. I remember the first time I saw it, I, I assumed it was going to be for... Um, a, a dog's purpose or a dog's journey one, one of the the dogs movies that's um and I, yeah but um then the title came up at the end and i was very confused yeah because it did not seem to be about racing at all no although it's a dog in a fast car maybe it's the fast and the furriest uh, quick move on don't give him ideas <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also out this weekend, and uh, what I've heard very good things about, is Blinded by the Light, which is uh, co-written and directed by Gurinder Chadra, who uh, previously made Bandit Light Beckham. And I think also uh, is the creator of Beecham House, which is on TV currently. This is set in uh, 1987. It follows a, a teenager who learns to live life, understand his family, and find his own voice through the music of Bruce Springsteen, oh. which somewhat, somewhat mirrors my own adolescence, I think, so... Hopefully there'll be a, a lot for me to connect with. Out next weekend, and I know this is one that we've uh, both been looking forward to, hotly anticipating, is the uh, the latest film by Quentin Tarantino, mm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, boy. I am so looking forward to this. Mm, I mean, just an amazing cast, assembled for this one. Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, uh, Timmy Fon, Oliphant, he's there again, uh, Bruce Stern, Al Pacino, oh, Damien Lewis, right, but Damien Lewis, didn't even realise was in it. There we go. They kept that quiet. Brilliant. Well, I mean that's that's pretty much it. Unless there's any others you want to squeeze in there. Uh, the, what, do you want to? Oh, there's Good Boys. Mm-hmm. Good Boys is coming out next week, August sixteenth. Yeah. Um, three sixth grade uh, boys uh, ditch school um, and they're caught carrying uh, stolen drugs. Uh, looks like it could be a little funny coming of age type story. Yeah, sort of like a, a, a miniature version of Superbad. Yes. Yeah. It's got a lot to live up to. It does, yeah. That's it from us. Thanks for joining us. Bye. If you missed anything in today's episode, you can hear the edited podcast online. Just search for the Sunshine Cinema Show podcast. This is a Sunshine Hospital Radio production. Get well soon.